Amen. Amen. How are you this morning? We good? Good. I'm glad we good. Well, it's been a minute since I've been here. We've been a little preoccupied with a newborn. Hope y'all didn't mind. Uh, this is probably going to feed back. I'm going to turn this, take some highs out of it or something. It's a little squeaky. But uh, my wife, Caitlin, is fine. Baby Benjamin is fine. Um, he's presenting us with a unique challenge, though. That unique challenge is, is every time we change his diaper, I say we, I actually haven't changed one yet. <laughs> I'm, I got a goal. I'm going to see how long I can go. You know what I'm saying? Like we have dad goals here. Let's see how long I can go without changing one. You know what I'm saying? But every time we change and put the new diaper on, he immediately goes number two, immediately. You could wait. You know he's cooking something, you know what I'm saying? Like you could tell the way they're moving. You could wait. You could just sit there and wait and watch him. And then he starts fussing because he's already messy, right? And then you change him as soon as it. So y'all pray for me because my diaper bill is going to be through the roof, apparently. But I'm glad to be with you this morning. Ladies, it's not too late to get on that women's retreat. I want to encourage you. And guys, Band of Brothers is coming up. It'll be on the app. You can check it out. We're going to be going. It's going to be in Gulfport. It's going to be an amazing time. The conference is good, but I think the fellowship is better. So I want to make sure you guys know to be a part and come hang out with us. Amen? Well, this morning I'm excited because I'm starting a new series with you this week. And we're going to pull the entire series from two verses of Scripture. But what I'm excited about is when the Lord allows me to teach from one passage but tie it into places that I didn't think it was going to tie. It's my favorite thing about Scripture is that it all connects in some way, shape, or form. Amen. But have you guys ever seen the movie Back to the Future? You see Back to the Future 2? Okay. Well, if you remember in Back to the Future 2, that's when old Biff, right, goes back in time and runs into young Biff, and he's got that sports almanac book, right? And there's a scene that I was going to show you this morning, but he – there's a curse word right in the middle of the scene, and that wouldn't have worked. So, but he's sitting there, and he's telling young Biff, listen, this has got every result of every sports game for the last 50 years. All you have to do is bet on the winner that this book says, and you're going to win. And, of course, he's like, oh, you're so stupid, old man, blah, 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 and he, like, throws the book. It's like, John, I think you understand this book is, is it's got every answer right. And he's like, I I'll prove it. So he turns on the radio, and they listen to a game that ends as the book says the score was going to be. And Biff has the young Biff has the epiphany. Like, oh, wait a second. He's right. This book really does have all of the answers. And if I just do what this book tells me, I'll be successful. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Go to Matthew chapter 7 for me this morning. How many of you would love to go back in time and tell your younger self, like, two things, right? Like, just two things. And depending on how old you are, what you would tell your younger self might be different. Like, my dad always said if he could go back in time, he would tell himself to invest in Microsoft when it first came out. That's how, when he was young, that would have been a real thing, right? For me, I would love to go back and tell myself to pack better before Katrina, number one, because I, I didn't own socks for a while, 
But, uh, like, I would go tell myself, hey, in 2009, bet on the Saints to win the Super Bowl. Nobody's going to think they're going to win it, but bet on the Saints to win it, right? Little things like that. You go back in time, hey, don't quit college. Or better yet, get a different degree. Or some of you might go back in time and be like, hey, don't date so-and-so. And everybody who just laughed is like, I wish I wouldn't have dated so You got the so-and-so in the front of your mind right now. Don't do this. Don't do that, right? And we, and we wish we could go back. Or better yet, you could go and just do one or two things to set up your family for generations and generations to be healthy and strong and established and fulfilled. And all. Well, we do. We have the ability to set ourselves up for the most successful life possible. Because it does not matter to me how much money I make. That's not success. Success is, number one, obviously it's how my family is built upon the kingdom. But in all reality to me, strength is not how large of an object you can pick up once. Strength is how long can you hold something. So it's not about how good I can make my one house. It's can I keep my family right for 30, 40, 50 years. What kind of foundation am I laying? And the Bible gives us really simple and easy, I should say simple, not necessarily easy, but simple steps to do this. In Matthew chapter 7, the name of this series is called Rock Solid. This morning is How to Be Wise. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the flood came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Amen? Amen. Pray with real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and your presence. I ask that you would, God, let none of my opinion come out, but that it all be you. I pray, God, that you would touch every person on the sound of my voice, that their heart would be receptive of the word today, that the seed would go in and would bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 times over. Father, I pray that every person who leaves this place changed, wanting and knowing you more. We thank you for your amazing presence. In Jesus' name, amen. The very beginning of this says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So y'all know, if you've ever been to English class, that the word and is a conjunction which usually means that whatever comes before the word and and after the word and are of equal importance. So whoever hears and does. I'm going to get to that in a second. But first thing I want to talk about is hears these sayings of mine. Well, what sayings is, 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 is he talking about here? Well, there are two things we can pull from here. The first thing in context, we could say that Jesus is speaking of the saying he is just finishing talking about this is the very end of what we call the sermon on the mount matthew 5 through 7 is basically jesus introducing the kingdom of god to us and what it looks like and believe me when you read it in our culture and our society it is not very controversial matthew 5 through 7 there's there's some things that they're like okay that's crazy right like let somebody hit you on the cheek like that's a little nuts but when you read through a lot of it what Jesus was doing was he was challenging the religious way of the, of the Hebrew culture at the time and letting them know there was a different kingdom coming. There was a different way that he was introducing. And so he goes for three chapters, and here's some of the things he says. Matthew 5, 6, it says that if blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall 
be filled. Listen carefully. If you're not hungering for Jesus and thirsting after Jesus, it's because you're not going after him. Because when we seek him, when we go after him, he fills us. So if your Christianity is boring, it's not his fault. A couple other ones here for you. Matthew 5, 23 through 24, it's conflict resolution. If you go to church and you know somebody has a problem with you, leave your deal where it is and go talk to them. That's a whole sermon that I'm not going to preach right now because I love preaching on that subject. But I'm just going to let you know that if you come to church and you know somebody's upset with you, you're supposed to not even enter into worship till you go talk to them. Right? Let's keep going. Matthew Matthew 5, 28, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. See, this changes the dynamic because at the time, adultery was sin, which adultery still is sin, right? But Jesus takes it further, and what it says is, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, whichever a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery. He changes the playing field. We're going to keep going. Matthew 6. 9 through 13, it's the Lord's Prayer. If you heard me teach on prayer in January, this is not necessarily the prayer itself, not the ritual part of it, but the format. It's he's showing us how we can pray. He's breaking it down for us. Matthew 6, 21, store up treasure in heaven. That's something that we could preach on for, I'm probably going to do a series on this next year and just going through the whole Sermon on the Mount. But store up treasures in heaven, that's something that everybody in America should probably understand. Is storing up treasures in heaven, not storing up everything here, but storing up everything up there with him, which is souls. That's who we're inviting and who we're leading to Jesus. Right? And keep going. Matthew 6, 33, my favorite one of the whole deal is seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for each day will take care of itself. For each worry has enough. Each day has enough worry of its own. Matthew 7, 1, don't judge. That's the summary. I'm summarizing all this for you. Just letting you know what Jesus said. Don't judge, for the man of which you judge shall be judged upon you. Why do you look at the, the, the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank sticking out of your own? First, remove the plank. I like to say a telephone pole. Right? I, li- I, I like, for me, for me, it's a telephone pole. Like, because there's this giant, I can't imagine anything more awkward than trying to walk through a mall with a telephone pole coming out of my eye. I just feel like I'd be clotheslining everybody, but I'd be mad at me. Well, that's what it's like when you come to church and you think you're better than everybody. You just clothesline people all across the building. Don't do that. That's don't judge. 7, 13 through 14, the way is narrow. The way is narrow. And something has happened where we have gotten a little off in our understanding of Jesus, that because Jesus loves, we think that Jesus is broad. He's not. It's narrow. His love will reach and touch and grab anyone, anywhere. But his love will always lead you to the narrow road. It's him and him only. Matthew 7, 20, you will know men by their fruit. I don't care what you say if what you do doesn't match what you say. Okay. Now, this is what Jesus has just finished saying. But the second layer here is... Anyone who hears these sayings of mine, that's his word. At this church, we believe that this is the final authority. I do my best to live my life according to this book. Do I do it right every time? No. But I do my best. There was a situation this week in my life that I did not want to do. 
And I felt right in not doing it. And I felt justified in not, I need an organ player for that one. Justified mm, for not doing it. But see, I read this, and the Bible says, I hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119. And as I was getting all righteously indignant and entrenched in my opinion, this verse out of Romans 14 came up, and I was like, Now I got to be humble. And I got to go do things I don't want to do. Because I'm not in charge. This is. So when Jesus says you've hears these sayings of mine, he's not just talking about Matthew 5 through 7. He's talking about Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. And we are supposed to live our lives in line with this book. Any man who hears them. Now, how many of you know that there's a difference between hearing and listening? Right? If, if you do not have children, you'll understand the difference between hearing and listening. Hearing and listening. My daughter can hear what I'm saying, but that don't mean she's going to listen to what I'm saying. How many of you have ever been walking down Decatur Street or going to get Benny H. or Jackson Square and you can hear the music, but that means you're listening to the music. See, I had this problem as a musician. My Growing up, I learned how to listen to a song and listen to individual instruments, even though it's a full recording, and listen to the bass guitar part, listen to the drum part, listen to the horns, and I could kind of pull each of them apart. And Some people were like, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I've learned to listen more intently to different spots. I'm not just hearing it. I'm listening to it. There are a lot of people that sit in churches and hear the word, but never listen to the word. But notice Jesus says, those who hear and do, my man skips right over listening. What he's saying is, I'm going to hear it, and you should do it. Y'all don't need to catch this. He's not asking us to agree with. He's asking us to hear it and do it. You ever told, you, you ever told you, your children, do me a favor and pick up those clothes? Why? <laughs> because the sun rises in the east. I don't know. Just why? Because I said to do it. And see, what they think is that we're trying to boss them around. No, we're trying to get them used to hearing our voice and obeying it immediately because one day that voice might be baby move because a car is coming. And I don't have time to explain to you why I need you to do what I need you to do. I just need you to hear my voice and do it. Oh, if we could have a church of people who would, instead of needing to listen and hear and agree and interpret and figure out what Jesus is saying, if we would literally just hear and do. So Jesus says, those who hear and do. The problem is the doing. It's not the listening. That's its own issue. The problem is the doing, and here's what I mean by that. This may seem like a no-brainer type answer. How do we do them? By doing them. And you're all like, well, yeah, Pastor Chris, that's what that would mean. 
In Greek, the word do there is to construct, which means intention. Nobody builds something on accident. When I try to build something, it looks like it was built on accident. But no one builds anything accidentally. It takes purpose, and it takes intent, and it takes focus. And so what he's saying is, is anybody who hears my words and constructs them, builds them, takes the plans, and that's next week, but builds this stuff intentionally is like a man who's built his house on a rock. And so we have to do them, but how do I know that you're building something? Joseph and Pastor Carl did the, the renovation in this, and y'all remember the wall used to be right around here. And, and if you remember, on Sundays for a while, we still had service like it was, and the kids were already in the other suite. So everything looked the same in here. We kept saying, I'm, we're going to have renovations. It's going to be done. It's going to be good. But you couldn't really see any evidence of the change yet. That it was happening, but you couldn't see it. And so people could come in the door. They were like, oh, I thought y'all was renovating. Y'all ain't renovating. Why? Because they couldn't see anything. One of the hardest parts about being a part of a church, I'm going to tell you right now, one of the hardest parts of being a part of a church is when you run into people who are saying they're like Jesus but don't look like him. It's one of the hardest parts. Because the bottom line is every church you go to, you're going to run into that. You're not going to get away from that. But Jesus is any man who, who hears my words and does them, and it's the doing them part that we struggle with. And I'm going to give you three things today that, that we can pull from doing them. The first thing is change. This is how I know that I am doing the things I'm hearing, is there's a change. There's a change. What is different about you now than before you gave Jesus your life? What's different? When I was younger, pastor used to always say, if there's been no change, there's been no change. If there's been no change, there's been no change. And see, one thing I find interesting is that when we first give our lives to Jesus, we are really working at change. Like when we really encounter his love, when we really encounter his goodness, when we, like when we have that born-again experience, we want to change. We are trying to change. We are working at taking our lives and, and conforming it as much as we can to Jesus. And we don't know what in the world we're doing, but we're trying as best as we can. And we're going to group, and we're going to prayer, and we're going to church, and we're listening, and we're asking questions. Okay, I shouldn't do that. Check. I should do that. Check. That's what, and we're working very diligently at it, but there reaches a point in time, and every person kind of hits it in their own different speed, but we reach a point in time where we, we reach a spot where we think that we've changed enough because we don't look like the world anymore. And at some point in time, we have stopped comparing ourselves to Jesus, and we've started comparing ourselves to the world. And now, because I don't look like them anymore, I'm good. When in all reality, it's I don't look like him yet, so I'm not done. 
And we make this mistake. And I'll be honest with you, this, and I find it mostly in the more mature a believer is, the less change you'll see. And here's what I mean by that. I've been serving the Lord. I, have my, my bo- I got born again at five years old. I, I, I count it because of the encounter I had with Jesus. I know for a fact that he touched me at five. So that September will make 31 years for me since I had a, a complete touch from heaven at five years old in a kid's convention in Fort Worth, Texas with Gospel Bill on stage. That shows how long you've been serving Jesus if you know who Gospel Bill is. Exactly. So I count it. But I find that now change looks different. Because it's no longer that I don't do alcohol or I don't do this or I don't do that. It's now how I interact with people. It's how I think about situations. It's how I respond to trial. You want to know the true measure of maturity in someone's life sit with them when the doctor gives them bad news because guess what i might be able to tell alcohol no but can i tell fear no when cancer is a diagnosis can i do that that's the maturity but what happens is we reach a certain spot and we've matured enough that we're no longer like the world i'm better than them That's what it turns into. But I'm not nothing like him yet. Yet I see in Romans 5 and James 1 that brothers count it all joy when you face trials. Because trials produce perseverance and hope. And it does not disappoint. It makes us more like Jesus. One of the things I admire the most about Pastor Carl is I have never noticed a time in my life that he has not aimed to continually become more like jesus and i've watched him when when there's been a situation and he's felt one way and then and then i've watched how you could see how he felt but he didn't act upon how he felt but i find people who've been serving jesus a long time they don't feel the need to change anymore and that's why you find people and i've seen it you've been around long enough you see people live great for 30 years then a certain storm comes up that their foundation wasn't built to handle. Although it was built to handle the last one, wasn't built to handle this one. And their whole world falls apart. When they were doing great five years before, but this new storm came in. And it did some damage. There's got to be change, and it has to be continually changing. I am going to becoming more like Jesus until the day I'm standing next to him. I never want to stop being transformed amen so the first one we see is change the second one is commitment commitment total change in every way is not expected immediately despite what many in the church will say i can remember having a conversation with youth one time some different young people in in youth we had a big they had this big growth spurt in 2012 and then we lost a bunch of kids we had a crew that stayed and I can remember as that crew stayed and we uh, I was discipling them, we're training them up. And then, then we got our next little wave that came in. And they're, they're young teenagers who had just met Jesus and didn't know 
their heads on the hole in the ground and just like just completely. And I remember watching some of the ones that I had been discipling being very, very tough on some of the new ones because, oh, you can't do that. You can't say that. You can't think like that. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You was doing that a month ago. You just stopped. He's been saved eight minutes. And you want him to be as mature as you. And you three years in, and you just stopped doing You just stopped. You, you just stopped. No, it's a commitment, not that I'm going to say a prayer, because the prayer don't do it. It's given in your heart, heaven, and your life, maybe in the Lord. That's what does it. Prayer just puts words to what happens. But when I do that, there will be things that supernaturally change in the moment. Boom. Maybe it's fear that leaves. It's shame that leaves. It's, it's, it's anger that leaves. There's something that changes instantaneously in the moment. But there's other things that do not, and they have to be walked out. And the, to me, the best analogy in my mind to describe what it's like to grow in Christ, believer to believer, is like this. I'm going to start at Devacro Island, all the way at the end of St. Bernard, and I need you to start at the airport. But we're going to meet at Landry's Restaurant on the lakefront. And now listen, you at the airport... I'm at Delacroix Island. You do realize that the route we're going to take is going to look completely different, right? I'm not going to see a house on the ground for 15, 20 minutes, maybe even 30 minutes. Because in Delacroix, everybody's in there. You may get stuck in traffic for an hour. I may not see a car on the highway for 20 minutes. We're going to see some similarities. We're going to both see McDonald's. We're both going to see a dollar store or seven, especially if you're coming from the Chalmette side where you're capital of Dollar Trees, right? We're both going to see gas stations. We're both going to start seeing people. We're both going to start seeing cars. But the journey and the route is completely different. But imagine if I got to Landry's and told you you didn't get where you were supposed to go because you didn't see swamp. Or you're telling me you didn't get to the right place because you didn't drive on the freeway long enough. No, my route was different. Because where he found me, the pit I was in, was in a much different location than the pit that you were in. See, the pit you were in may have been addiction in the middle of the club scene in the city. Mine was pride in the middle of the church. So the route looks much different. How do I know that? Because I highly doubt anybody else, other maybe the grandkids, got the rebukes that I got from Pastor Carl as a 15-year-old. I doubt it. Why? Because that was the route I had to take to get where God wanted me to go. But the problem is, is we will judge each other based upon the route rather than being thankful we both got to the destination. When the bottom line is, Y'all, we made it to Landry's. We made it. He got me from way over here to where I am. He got you from way over there to right here. That's what matters. 
but it's the commitment because what will end up happening is we'll be on the road and we'll get distracted and we'll jump off. Or we'll be on the road and, and, and we'll get angry and we'll turn around. Or we'll get all the way, we'll get right there and then we'll be mad because somebody else is walking in that didn't come the way we did. When it's the commitment, it's not to you, it's not to me, it's to him. And when I'm committed to him, I can be committed to you. When you show me a Christian who doesn't like Christians, I'll show you a Christian who don't know Jesus. It's the commitment that when I hear these things, I'm going to do them. And when I don't do them right, I'm going to repent and do them again. And I'm going to keep trying, and I'm going to keep going to Jesus and saying, I need grace. John chapter 1 says, of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. Which means not only has he saved you by his grace, but he's going to give you grace to live the life he gave you by grace. Because even though he saved you, you can't live it without him. I can't live it without him. I need him every day. I need him every hour. I need him every minute. I got a newborn. We ain't sleeping. I need grace. Help me, Jesus. We got change. We got commitment. We got courage. Takes courage. Takes courage because it's not easy to change the way you've lived for years. It's not easy to think differently. I can remember hearing a testimony one time I was watching some sermon on YouTube, and it was a, a testimony of a black man preaching about how the Lord healed him of racism he didn't know he had. And it started because he was pastoring a church in Dallas. And he, he wanted to see God move, and he went to a prayer service, a pastor's prayer meeting, over breakfast one morning. And he walked in, and he was the only African-American pastor there. And he got offended because he thought that nobody was invited. And he got angry. But he kept getting the emails to be invited. And one day, he just happened to click the... You can see all the email lists. And when he opened it, he saw about 100 names, and he knew 40 of them. And nobody else went. He went to the next prayer meeting and wept on the floor because he had been judging everybody in the room based upon his perspective. Because of the way he had thought, the way he had grown up, and the way he had felt, and the way that he saw the world led him to think a certain way. But it took courage to be committed to the change. It takes courage to deal with the opinions of people who know the old you. That's just a fad. It's going through a phase. They'll, they'll, they'll be back in the club soon. They ain't really different. When family mocks you because you're going to do a holy roller now. Right? And they mock you because of that. That's, that ain't them. That's a phase. That's because she dumped him. That's why he's at church. Things like that. It takes courage. It takes courage to get back up when we fall into who we used to be. It takes courage to get back up. Because I've fallen. I've blown it. It takes courage to keep living this life when I now have to change something I didn't even know was wrong. Because, again, he's, he doesn't deal with everything at once. 
And what, what you'll find is the longer you serve him, situations come into your life that cause you to think or act a certain way that you haven't had to act in a long time. And he's like, see, remember that? I need that gone. But you don't even notice that if this situation doesn't happen. You don't know how selfish you are till you have another kid. You don't know. You don't realize how much of your own self you let run things until all of a sudden you can't. And yet I'm a pastor of two churches. Can you, can you believe it that I've had to deal with selfishness? I should be so beyond that. I, 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 I sh- y'all shouldn't even listen to me preach. I should be so beyond it. But the bottom line is, is that apparently there was still something in there that he had to get to, but a storm had to come to move some dirt out the way so I could see it. It takes courage. It takes courage to say, Jesus, you're in charge, and I'm going to give up that right. But I can promise you this. It might take courage, but it's always worth it. Always. Any man who hears and does is like a man who built his house on the rock. My question for you this morning is, are you building on the rock? Because you've heard it today. But as I said, James chapter 2 says it, that you tell me you believe, that's fine. Show me you believe by your actions. Of course, that's why when we do the prayer at the end and raise hands and come to the front, it's the action to prove or to, to show the belief. The action, the, the coming up to the front doesn't do it. It's the, it's the internal work that's happening. But that walk up to the front and the say in the prayer is the action upon the faith that you are saying you believe. Me no longer living for myself is the action that is proving that what I'm saying is what I believe and who I am. That's how you build on the rock. Would you bow your heads this morning?